really close to needing an assistant or an intern. Yeah. I could use one. Yeah. Even well, for my real job. It's crazy because I think you could actually find people who would do it for free. The experience. Um, yeah. You really could. And people who just really want to be a part of it. And then someday, like, when you are making enough money, you can return that in actual jobs, you know? Yeah. If, they, if they're good, you know? Or, like, referrals. It's, it's an interesting... Yeah, that's what I'm learning from all of this stuff is, like, people will do a lot of things Yeah. Um, to help just because they want to or they want the experience. The experience. Yeah. Yeah, I could really use somebody to help me, like, scheduling and kind of getting stuff ready and keeping me focused. Yeah. That's what I would like. Hmm. Note to self. <laughs> find an intern. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we're here with Hello. Wings with Friends. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Mary Upchurch, and I am here with the amazingly talented local filmmaker, Cassidy Poling. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so good. Good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. Uh, thank you for just being you. Um, <laughs> we had some amazing wings from Zips today, which we're going to talk about um, in a little bit. Um, I think we're going to call this episode Zips Golden Medium. Golden yeah. Medium. That's right. I should write that down. <laughs> because for some reason, I'm getting Zips and Marley's really confused. <laughs> I've never been to Marley's. Well, I, that's where I got most of the wings at Big Pine because okay. it was right down the street from HQ. Mm. And I kept calling it Zips. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, there's just too much. There's too much to do. Cassidy, um, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you and what makes you so special? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I am a, like you said, I'm a local filmmaker. I uh, got my degree from cinema at San Francisco State University. Um, but, yeah, I spent, uh, I, I got my degree really weird. I started at a community college at, P, like, PVCC just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then when I decided I wanted to actually like get a film degree, I jumped from community college, community college, trying to, uh, you know, just get all the credits that I need to get me to San Francisco state. And then I got there and was there for a year and then ended up doing a year abroad in Australia. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. And it ended up being like this weird thing where it was like, it was easier for me to go to Australia and finish my degree than to like stay there and finish my degree because of all of the red tape that comes with all like classes of like what you need before and after and the way that it Prerequisites. Yeah. So it was pretty unconventional, but yeah. So I, uh, finished my degree in Australia. So I did most of my practical work there. Um, and then after I finished that year, I stayed there for another six months to just work on some films and then moved back to Phoenix when I was done because I, I didn't know where to go. And so, uh, yeah, I just sort of was going to figure out where to go next because I, you know, I was born here. My parents still lived here, so it just felt like the right place, and then ended up making connections and finding a way to continue doing film and the creative things I want to do here, so I sort of planted for a little bit, so it's been fun. That is so cool. I love how just kind of following your dreams and following what you want to do brings you to where you are. Yeah, yeah, it was so weird because it was like when I left Phoenix, I love Phoenix. Um, I always have. And when I left, it was kind of that bittersweet thing. It was like, I really love it, but I really feel like I'm supposed to go to San Francisco and do this thing. And then I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go to Australia or not, but I was just like, if if the opportunity presents itself and it works out, then I'm going to go. And I did. And then that totally changed everything. And then to be able to come back and be in Phoenix again, which is another city that I love and just kind of be around family has been really nice for the last year. One thing that's really fascinating to me is all of the opportunities here. Yeah. I know we're close to Los Angeles and people like to move to New York or LA and it's like, you don't have to, or at least you don't have to right now. Right. And I've been talking to a lot of people about this because, um, Phoenix is obviously not as big of an art scene as LA or New York right now. But I think as the cost of living gets so high in California, you're going to start people to see people flee to these outside states. So I'm kind of trying to wait it out and let Phoenix get this really cool community. And what I'm doing now, I can do exactly what I want and continue building. But that's the cool thing. Everybody in the arts has a totally different story of how they got there. Mm -hmm. And it's not like going to LA or going to New York is going to guarantee you anything. It absolutely doesn't. 
And if you can, if you can do something here and hone your craft a little bit before you get thrown into the wolves, you know, you can be that big fish in a little pond. Exactly. Like you, you can create, say a show or film a movie here. Like, Oh yeah. And it's just, I'm not gonna say easier, but maybe more accessible. Yeah, I think that's probably the right word. Yeah. More accessible. Yeah. Um, great idea. And I think I think that's true for comedy also. I, I agree. I mean, like, if I lived in California, I couldn't afford to do what I'm doing. Like, I couldn't do it because the cost of living so high, I'd have to work way more. And, like, you know, I wouldn't have that space to ha- have that time to build a business or build, a, you know, create things. Yeah. It just wouldn't be possible. That's how I ended up here. I'm from San Diego originally. And my folks moved here first to retire and I I knew I wanted to be near them. Um, But since moving here now, it's been 14 years. It's like every cool thing that's happened has happened because I had the community here and the people that I know and just just happier, I guess. And now I'll go to California when I want, you know, on vacation. Because it's so close. And the thing is, people in Phoenix are so nice. Like, I really do. It's because they're from the Midwest. (laughs) Everybody here's from the Midwest and they're all nice. That that was my theory. Yeah. Maybe that's it. But like, because I've traveled a little bit, like gone to a couple cities and not that people weren't nice in those other places, but there's something about people in Phoenix who are just really friendly and really nice and just really care. Maybe because it's not as cutthroat. You know, we're not competing against each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I mean, I definitely think that's part of it. Yeah. Know? Interesting. Well, we had some really fantastic wings, like we said, mm-hmm. from Zips. We had, um, go- why can't I read golden medium? <laughs> because I also got traditional. Yeah. Cassidy, do you like wings? Like in your real life, would you order wings if you were out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love wings. I love anything spicy. Oh, really? Yeah, I love spicy. Oh, I didn't know that. I would have gotten spicier. No, that's okay. I like like spicy, but sometimes... Like, I like that balance of, like, I want it to taste good as well. Because sometimes there's those hot sauces that are so spicy, but they taste like garbage. Right. It's like, I love that balance of, like, oh, this is really tasty, and you got, like, a little sweat going. The it's heat. really good. Yeah. <laughs> your nose is running. Yeah, yeah. What's, like, your, where's your, what's your favorite wing? Yeah, so the, like, the Golden Hot from Zips. Oh. I love, I love that wing. It's so good. Um, but I like the honey chipotle too. They're a little sweet, a little spicy. And those are from Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, I mean, or anywhere, maybe really. anywhere really. Native but like has a honey chipotle. The Buffalo Wild Wings, they have a really good Asian zing. Mm. And then their mango habanero is oh. really good. Yeah, we did a mango habanero. Oh, yeah. And they said it wasn't hot enough. Really? Yeah, sometimes these wing places pull out because they don't want people to be like, this is too hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings has that um, the blazon, and the habanero is just right under that. Uh-huh. But I don't like the blazon. It doesn't taste very good. It's just hot for the sake of being hot. Yeah, they yeah. have that challenge. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a really good story about that, actually. <laughs> I want to hear it. We're going to hear it. Okay. Like, in a minute. Wait. Yeah, for sure. I struggle. I always struggle with like, wait, if it's time to tell the story, Mary, tell the story. <laughs> but no, for, I don't want to walk. I don't want to walk on your prep, your your structure. No, we I don't have any structure. I'm a mess, Cassie. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Oh, um, I don't believe that. But let me just ask you this, because I want to hear this main story. Do you prefer the flat or the drummy? <sighs> Depends how how thick. The flat is. Okay. Like those little tiny ones where you're like having to work for it. No, thank you. But if they're like a meaty flat. Yeah. I'll, I'll go for that. But Zips had a pretty decent yeah, flat. Yeah, they did. But sometimes the little flats can just be so wimpy that yeah. you're, you're like, ugh, it's, it's a lot So of if it's a wimpy flat, you prefer the drummy? Mm-hmm. Okay. But if it's a meaty flat, you prefer the flat. Yeah. Because the, <gasps> the flat has a little, like, I feel like it's a little moister. Yes. I agree. I think so too. Zips, um, they were good size wings and they were nice and hot. And I did get them to go, but I love eating wings right away because you get that crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you prefer like a dry wing or a wet wing? Yeah, wet. I'm, like not, I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really about the dry rubs. Okay. It's like, okay. Are you a ranch or a blue cheese? Ranch. Blue cheese. <laughs> uh, it smells like baby vomit. I can't, I can't do it. 
<laughs> okay, it's all ranch. <laughs> do you do the vegetables? Do you use celery, carrots? Mm-hmm. I only like celery when I eat wings. Oh, yeah. So I'll, I'll eat both, but like... There's something about the celery and the ranch with the wings that is really good. But otherwise, I'm not going to eat celery. Right. I think it's the only time I eat celery also. <laughs> Although lately, I've really been enjoying making soup. And it always starts with like onion, carrots, and celery. Yeah, the, the mirepoix. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then throw in your broth. And uh-huh. then throw in some chicken. And I'm, I, I am a decent cook. I was listening to a recent episode I just launched. Where I made wings for Michael Margetis, and um, they were so salty because I thought oh, really? I thought Larry's season salt was a flavor, and I don't think it is now. But he ate them; it was just like salt. <laughs> he was a good sport about it, ish. After he complained about it a lot. After he complained about it, yeah. <laughs> I tried to like rinse off the salt and refry them, and then I just overcooked them. Oh, and he yeah. was like, "I think I stabbed myself with a brittle bone." I was like, "Gosh." Uh, so I have complaining for free wings. That's a comic <laughs> actor for you, you know? Nothing's good enough. Nothing's good enough. So what's your wing story? What happened to you over wings? Okay. So um, at any time a Buffalo Wild Wings opens up a restaurant, if you're the first hundred people in the restaurant, you get free wings for a year. What? Yes. So when I, I was like, it was probably like my second year of college, I stayed with a group of friends we stayed the night in the parking lot waiting to get these wings oh my gosh um, and they would like there was this guy i can't remember his name i wish it was i wish i remembered it was like something magic <laughs> it, he was the most ridiculous high energy guy well he was high energy at first where he was doing all of these events and like making us think that these stickers mattered like he was making us do trivia and all of this stuff I mean like yeah i'm like j magic or whatever my name is and <laughs> j magic. like you gotta do all this stuff to get stickers and then like by one o'clock He's just sitting in the parking lot smoking a cigarette. Like, Take your stickers. <laughs> Go. Like, okay. like he's a B-dubs ambassador yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. But like he, earlier in the night, he was like, okay, we're going to do a, a blazing challenge. And it was like eight people, two rounds of people would eat six of the blazing wings. And the first two people who would finish them got stickers. So it was like, absolutely, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm, well, I love spicy food, and I'm also an incredibly fast eater. Like, you wouldn't know, but I'm a super fast eater, and I can eat a lot. Um, so I was, like, ready to go, and we're in this parking lot, and it's me. I'm the only girl who's going to do this wing challenge, and there was this really douchey guy. Like, he had this, like, cu- like the cutoff shirt, you know what I'm talking about? The one. <laughs> like a bro. Yes, exactly. And the, the whole time, he's like, I want to go against girl. I want to go against girl. I'm like, I don't think you do. <laughs> So I'm like, fine, let's do it. I want to go against you because that seems like the best thing. So we sit down and we're eating these wings. Or well, we're like about to eat and they're like, go. And so I eat three under 30 seconds. And I just hear someone go, that girl. (laughs) From all the people watching it. And they just like made me faster. And I finished. I was the first to finish. And this guy is just like crying into his wings. Oh, because they're all so blazing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I felt accomplished. It's one of the proudest moments of my life. Oh, my gosh. Trouncing this guy in a wing-eating competition. It was fantastic. Triumphant, Cassidy, polling. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And there is something about bringing shame to, like, a douchey, like, bro guy. Yeah, I mean, and I was definitely at that time where it was just, like... You know, like I was a little bit of a man hater, and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna show you, you don't know. <laughs> Did you get into B dubs to win the free wings for We a year? got the free wings for a year, but you it was. Did? We did, yeah. We got like Never a coupon. I did. We got a coupon book, and um, well, I used like half of them because I was here half the year, and then after that, I moved. So I just didn't, I, I gave them to uh, a boyfriend. And um, so it was like you got. Free six free wings once a week for a year. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. But like the Buffalo Wild Wings, 
um, that we went to had the worst service ever. So every time we went oh. in, we we're like, oh, this is the worst. But like, <laughs> it was fun because it was free. But yeah, it you was know, weird. With, with six free wings, you're probably going to order other things. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's actually a really smart promotion. Yeah. You're but, probably going to bring other people. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing. We would just once a week all come together, have some wings, hang out. But yeah, it was. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole premise of this podcast is that like, it's not. You know, it's not really about wings. It's about people and getting together. And, like, it's one of those foods you always eat with people you like and you care about. And you're like, what's, you know, you get to reconnect. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, it was, uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting time. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I love that. You know, House of Comedy, they have some really good wings. They have a salt and pepper. They do. Yeah. I like them. I like that. They have a, um, Jeremy makes a really good honey chipotle. Ooh, I should try that. Yeah. Because I... For, the, for those of you who don't know, I work at the House of Comedy in Phoenix, so... Um, probably one of my favorites. They're so great there. Yeah. Shannon, the manager, is always so nice. She loves comedy. She loves, like, supporting the comedians. It's really cool. And she loves seeing us do um, what we want to do and try to help us do that in any way we can. So she's been so awesome. And Mike's great and the whole staff. And Miranda. Like, yeah. she's so sweet. And, you know, the last time I went in there, I took a colleague from work who was kind of stuck in Phoenix for one more diet night. And I said, hey, I'm going to the show because um, I was going to see Trix, who I met at Big Pine. I was like, I want to go support Trix. I think I served you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you spilled our... <laughs> yeah, I spilled your stuff all over the table. And I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. I've never done that in my life. <laughs> It's <laughs> you can do whatever. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I had my colleague there, and I got to tell you, you guys made me feel so cool. Because first, like, I walked up. I was like, can we get a ticket from my friend? And I'm like, no, you're good. And then everyone's like, hey, Mary. And, like, I know... <laughs> Duh, Mary, you're there all the time. I don't know. There was something magical. Everyone was just like, Mary. And then we talked about this. And I was like, oh, like, I I perform here. So, you know, my friend's like, you're a celebrity. And I'm like, I know. Yeah, you're a big shot. I know. I just felt really cool. Um, So that was really nice. Um, So speaking of, you know, following your dreams and doing, you've, I want to start with, you uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you started doing a lot of photography and videography with Big Pine mm-hmm. and through House of Comedy. Yeah, so I um, I started at House of Comedy just because I needed a job, and I thought I um, I've written comedy like short comedy films, and I love comedy. Maybe that. You know, maybe that can be like this two birds, one stone sort of thing. It just puts you in the atmosphere. Yeah. So I just got it because I needed, I needed money. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I started working there. And then after a while, um, I got introduced to Hillary, who was one of the managers. But she wasn't like there day to day. But it mm-hmm. took me a while to get introduced to her. And uh, Mike, the bar manager, actually connected me with her to say, oh, hey, why don't you help her do video stuff with Big Pine? And... Um, Shannon was really nice to be able to let me go down there because there was another, a big comedian who was supposed to be there. So we had sold out shows, but she made it work so that I could go down there and video, um, video for them. So I started doing that on a volunteer basis and then, um, came like just really fell in love with Hillary and Jack and everyone who runs that festival. And so now I'm helping them do video production managing and like on the production team. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's really fun and exciting. And, um, I, I've been traveling with them a lot. They do, uh, they, they do a lot of traveling to, um, like scout, yeah, yeah, to scout for a couple different things like house of comedy, uh, they're the festivals that they run. And so I, I go along with them, do video stuff with them and they have a podcast too, the rambling man. That oh yeah. I've been on a couple of times, which is fun. Um, so that's been really cool. It's like, the dream where it's like yeah is that fun being in the rv or does it get kind of smelly after a while um yeah i mean it's i think it's a lot of fun but it definitely is a lot of people in a small space yeah boys a lot of boys a lot of boys and they stink which like i generally get along with men very well like i've always gotten along with men better than i have with women Uh as a general rule so it's like oh it's fine they're okay and like None of them, no one who goes on is, like, douchey or, like, hits on me. So it's like, okay, we're just bros, you know? (laughs) So I can, like, I can can do that. But it it would be probably uncomfortable if it was anything other than that. Yeah, I would love to go on one of the trips one day. Oh, yeah, you should talk Um, to Hillary. She would... It's just a matter... Well, yes, I should ask to be invited. (laughs) But I was going to say, like... 
oh, I just need to get the time off of work. And I was like, oh, Angie, you should probably be invited. <laughs> I wonder if I'd be too high maintenance. I'd be like, you guys, let's just stay in a hotel tonight. Come on. I'll pay for it. Just let's go to the hotel. Just kidding. I just need a hot shower. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I, I really like following that. Yeah, it's been fun. And we get to travel all the place. We went to New Orleans and San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Sacramento. Oh, Memphis. Was I love Memphis. <laughs> I named my dog Memphis after my trip. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I went in not expecting anything. Like I was like, oh, I thought New Orleans was going to be the highlight because I love the food. I I love New Orleans, but we get to Memphis and we met up with one of Hillary's friends from like back in the day and he showed us around and it was the best time. We went to this um, disco called Paul, Paul and Rayford's. Mm It is like a 90s dream. It's nice. like all the walls are graffiti and it's the best, like all like 90s, early 2000s music, like everything you want to hear. Yeah. There's like like fog everywhere and is black that the, lights. the video of you dancing? Yeah. You're just going, going for it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the best time. I was like, oh, yeah, I was living my best life. I'm I sure. went in 2012 for the Beale Street Music Festival. Oh, Beale Street choice. Yeah, and I recommend everybody go to this at some point. It's pretty much the same lineup you'll find at like Coachella or all the summer touring shows. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I saw Florence and the Machine, Bush, uh, Wiz Khalifa, Three Six Mafia, like rock and rap and pop and I mean, it was everything and it was so well scheduled and so well managed. Um, And during the day, we'd go see historical things like Graceland and the Lorraine Motel and Sun Records, and then we'd eat really good barbecue and then oh, go yeah. down to the festival. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. I love Memphis. I really want to go to Nashville. Um, I've never been, and uh, I don't know, I fell in love with that. And I have never seen so many beautiful people in my life. <laughs> like, everyone was so, like, clean cut and pretty looking. Like, in, in Memphis? Memphis? Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. In I Nashville, there's a lot of bougie, bougie-ness going on. <laughs> I mean, they were a little bougie, but mm-hmm. it was just like they were so like put together and pretty. I'm like, what is the city? Like, it felt like, yeah. It felt- right, and you're, you said you're from here. Uh-huh. So I had some culture shock, too. I'm from San Diego, but been here a long time. And just the aha when I go to other parts of the country and realize, like, they're different. And they're, you know, and I thought I was so fancy because I'm from California, but sometimes in the South, they're They're fancy. fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We went to Nashville for New Year's Eve and that was a blast. So I love travel and it really just reaffirmed me that there's a lot of great places in the United States that you can go to that like you need to explore. Yeah. That's my, that was my next goal after I got back from Australia because I love to travel. It's like, I want to hit all 50 states. I've hit a lot of them, but like, that's the next thing I want to do is try to get all 50 states. So that's cool. Yeah. I'd like to go back to, um, I've done some, a little bit like with cruises, but now I'd like to go back to like Key West and like spend time in Key West. Mm, Yeah. Um, Boston. I really want to see Mount Rushmore for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be cool. I mean, just like if I was passing through, you know? Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to put a pin in that because, like, I'm now I'm going, okay, please talk to Hillary about getting on the bus. Um, <laughs> the rambling van. The yeah. rambling van. Um, so, you've been working on a really important project. Tell me about it. Yeah, so um, I am currently producing and directing my own documentary. Um, It's called Tipless. It's a feature documentary about the tip-free restaurant movement in the U.S. Um, It's been a topic that I've been super interested in for the last uh, several years, but I finally, you know, had the time and the resources to actually go and make a film about it. Um, I worked at a tip-free restaurant when I lived in Oakland, um, and I kind of watched them as they made a switch from a tip to a tip-free restaurant, and that's sort of what motivated the film. And they're actually um, highlighted in the movie, like the main story is about them. The restaurant was called Homestead Restaurant um, on Piedmont Avenue. And uh, yeah, so it was just really interesting to watch them make this transition and hear why they were making the change and sort of the moral decision making that went behind that and so help me understand like what is a tipless restaurant yeah basically so 
a tipless restaurant would be all of the prices that you see on the menu include gratuity. So at the end of your check, you're not getting a tip line with a signed receipt. You're just signing your receipt and walking away. Um, and in that framework, all of the servers, managers, bussers are all getting paid a wage that's either hourly or salary, depending, like managers would have salary, but they're all getting paid a consistent wage. So they're not having to deal with tips. And mm -hmm. the restaurant we're following, they pay all of their employees an hourly wage above minimum wage that is um, consistent with their tenure and their experience in the industry. So um, a, a big reason they made this switch is because of um, the way that minimum wage laws were written, it was making it really hard for them to pay their kitchen employees a living wage. Mm. Um, in California, all servers have to get paid minimum wage, independent of whether they make tips or not. So, Oh, because in the past, like in California, they would make like 4 or $5 an yeah, hour. Yeah, you'd have like a tip credit or something. Yeah. So like you could pay a server, say, I mean... Like in Phoenix, for example, you can pay a server $7 an hour now, but if they don't make minimum wage, which is 10 here now, um, you have to pay, the employee has to pay them. But if they make over minimum wage, then the employer just pays them $7 an hour. Hmm. But in California, you have to pay minimum wage, like independent of whether they're making good money or not in tips. So... When you go, so that would hurt the employer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, restaurant businesses have such small profit margins that it's really hard for them to pay employees, give employees raises to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got um, in 2015 when this new law came into to what is it? What's the word? Uh, came into uh, action, fruition, came, uh, uh, the law was When it became enacted. effective. Effective. Boom. Yeah. Boom. We got there, people. <laughs> Language. <laughs> yeah. It um, made minimum wage go from like eight fifty to twelve twenty five. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge jump, first of all, for restaurants to eat that cost. And so any raises that they're going to give are going to go to the minimum wage employees to begin with. And if the point of minimum wage is to give the lowest paid worker more money, it doesn't really work in a tip system because the server who is already making the most money three times over is now getting a raise hourly plus restaurants are going to have to raise their prices to help balance out that cost and give them a little bit more profit. And so they're getting a raise percentage-wise on their tips as well because now their check averages are going to be higher, uh, theoretically. So if, if that's the purpose, to give the lowest paid more work or more money, it's not happening in a restaurant system because the kitchen workers and the dishwashers are the lowest paid workers. And they already make above minimum wage. And when you have all of this money going to giving minimum wage employees more money, there's not a lot of room in those restaurant budgets to give kitchen employees more money. And then there's a lot of weird laws about um, how you can spread tips across a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, in California, it's not really legal to take any of the tipped money and give it to someone who didn't have interaction with a customer specifically. Oh. So kitchen employees, dishwashers, they're not really legally allowed to benefit from that tip. So... It's not like a restaurant owner can say, oh, hey, you're going to tip out the kitchen mm -hmm. because they could get in a lot of trouble for that. So um, a lot of these restaurants are trying to switch to this model to help them survive and be sustainable in the long run, Yeah. but also to give their employees a better opportunity to have sustainability as well and to actually fix that disparity that exists in the modern American tipping system. How much research and education did you have to do and, and to like skill up to, to, to do this? I mean, I'm still doing research. Yeah. I feel like I've just started, there's so much to it and I'm just starting to scrape the surface, but I, I lived it for a long time. So I spent two years in Oakland, um, watching this legislation, be, like go into effect and watching restaurants adjusting to it and talking really closely with these business owners who were doing all of this stuff. Um, and then since 
starting the film, I'm just reading articles and talking to economists and lawyers and trying to figure out how does this actually work out? What's actually happening? Because I don't know, when you talk about minimum wage, there's so much rhetoric yeah, and there's so much, there's not a lot of nuance, but it's a very nuanced conversation. And, um, it's not just a give people more money. It's good. Or don't, you know, don't increase minimum wage and everything's fine. There's, there's a whole lot of gray area. And so we're kind of wanting to explore that. Right. Because, you know, from time to time, it'll it'll be up for an election. In an election, it is, is raise minimum wage, which sounds really good, put more money in people's pockets, but it's got to come from somewhere. Right. And That's, people probably get laid off when that happens, too, because it's like, well, we can't afford to have as many employees. Right. There's a lot of ripple effects. And as far as what the studies show, like, empirically, it's really hard to get a clear answer because there are so many factors in economies, and you can't have this isolated study because mm-hmm. there's not all places are the same. But in theory, when you think about it, if you raise the minimum wage, businesses are going to have to come up with that money somewhere. So you can raise prices, you can cut hours, you can do a little bit of both, or you can just eat the costs and have those profit margins be lower. And there's only so long a business can do that um, and be sustainable, you know? And so um, when, when it comes to these big corporations, they have enough profit where it's not a huge deal. They can make adjustments, but um, small businesses are really struggling because they're not in a position where they can always eat that cost. And so, Right, versus like a, a bigger corporation, maybe they're beholden to their shareholders. They need to have a certain amount of profit, yeah. and they don't want to cut into their profits. Right. But you're right, like a smaller place... It yeah. might be the difference. And there's also that um, idea of how how are these increased minimum wages um, discouraging other entrepreneurs to creating businesses? Mm. Like, we can't really know that for sure, you know, that idea of, like, what if, if this didn't happen. But if we create a system where it's really difficult for people to get small businesses off the ground... It's gonna. It's not gonna be good for the community because small businesses are usually the, you know, the businesses that care the most about the community and want to support the community the most. And so, right. I'm always super pro small business and trying to, you know, trying to give them that support. But um, I don't know. It's so. It's so interesting too because I think when minimum wage goes up, there there are prices that are going up. So you may be making more money per hour, but how much farther is your dollar going? It's, mm-hmm. it's not really. And then what about those people who were above minimum wage, but now they're just slightly above minimum wage? Mm-hmm. Their dollar is now diluted because they're still getting paid the same amount of money, but they're having to pay more money for everything too. So it makes it harder for them too to get up and keep, keep climbing up that ladder of success. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's very interesting and I want to open up a conversation of how can we best help the most disadvantaged in our societies? Are the things that we're doing now practically working? And I also want to kind of talk about how we're voting and saying, do we know what we're actually voting for and can we be a little bit more intentional about it? Because our actions and our votes do have ripple effects. Yeah. And if we don't think about it and take time, we are causing a lot of havoc. But, you know, you hear all of these talks on, like, election years about, like, minimum wage or whatever, and these laws get passed and everybody forgets about Mm -hmm. them. But the people who they affect have to deal with that from now on. We just Mm -hmm. don't. We just don't think about it. We don't talk about it. So, wow, this is really fascinating and probably a perfect uh, idea for a documentary because it doesn't sound like there is a clear-cut answer, like you said. There's not, like... Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of theories, and there's a lot of research being done about minimum wage and about how economies are affected, Um, but there's just a lot of things that we can't we can't know, like with the gig economy and um, increase, increases in technology. We don't know how minimum wage is going to affect that. Is Are we at a place now where the cost of hiring people is going to be so high that companies are going to start replacing people with computers at an exponential rate? Mm-hmm. We have no idea, and we can only know that 
once we look backwards, you know, we just, it's, it's just not a place where we have enough evidence to even know yet. Yeah. Um, so it's just, there's just a lot of unintended consequences that we have to, we have to sort of think about and like be willing to weigh of like, are you willing, like say you want to raise the minimum wage. Are you willing to pay more money to go out to dinner? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, then business, there's not going to be enough restaurants for people right. to open and businesses are going to close. And then you may have to pay higher wages too, because now there's less businesses in the marketplace and, you know, they become a monopoly of sorts, you know? Now I can see, you know, you said, um, it's, I think it was before we recorded, like how having these conversations with these, did you say Harvard economists or like oh, really yeah. high end, really smart economists? Yeah. Like that's what we're talking about. It's like the, um, economy theory and, and yeah. all that stuff I didn't pay attention to in college. Right. Cause I've been trying to get in touch with, um, economists and lawyers. So I've talked to a couple like Stanford and Harvard economists oh gosh, yeah. and yeah, um, there are times where I'm like way in over my head. I'm like, you are so smart and I'm sound like an idiot and you know, trying to keep up with them. It's but like, that's how you're going to learn. And yeah. that's how you're going to have <laughs> the kind of like the oomph to, for your neck, the next time, you know, when you have to go knock on other doors and be like, Hey, I'm Cassidy and I have a question for you. Yeah, no, it's been a very humbling experience and a very, um, like a really good learning experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world because it is really interesting to talk to these people. And I always had that, um, I've always thought about that question of like, would you rather be like the dumbest person in a smart world or the smartest person in a dumb world? I'm like, I kind of just want to be a dumb person in a smart world (laughs) because you could just like seep in all of this knowledge, you know? And like, so I'm okay being the dumbest person in the room. But you're not. (laughs) I think that's uh, you're selling yourself short. Um, where are you in the production and development of this documentary? So we have um, done our first round of shooting. We went July 2018 and shot for four days. So we've got a good amount of stuff, um, a couple interviews from the people at the restaurant, a lot of B-roll from the restaurant. And so right now we're in a fundraising stage. Okay. So, so you can do like the next piece? Yeah. So we launched a crowdfunding campaign uh, February 1st to do a 31-day campaign to help us raise 40000 so that we can finish shooting. It doesn't cover the whole budget, but that gets us enough to have everything shot and ready and, you know, pay our editor too so that we can get the film done by uh, 2019 so that we can have it for the 2020 festival cycle. Yeah. Yeah. We really think that that's the best time to release the film because it's going to have the biggest impact in the uh, minimum wage conversation and the voting conversation. So um, it's been interesting. I've never done, I've done crowdfunding, but like on a very small scale, we did, um, one for like $2,000 for my graduate film, but mm. that was like, I didn't even have to try to get the money. Right. You know, it was, this is kind of significant. This is a beast. Mm. And so, yeah, we're just trying to get the word out as much as we can and, see if people want to support the cause and how can uh, you know listeners find your cause yeah so um if you go to my social media uh, it's flow in the dark productions on instagram we have the link in our bio um it's also on indiegogo so um it's like https forward slash igg dot me slash at slash tipless okay that's our crowdfunding campaign it gives you all the information about the uh, film and have you have a little bit of footage there too, and um, you can find ways to support. But um, yeah, if you guys are interested in learning more or want to support, um, just sharing the campaign is super helpful. Mm-hmm. We definitely think there's enough money out there. It's just getting the right eyes on it. So um, any way that you can spread the word and kind of uh, you know build some hype for the project is super important. But um, yeah, if anyone likes the topic and wants to help help see the film become a reality we would love your support that is fantastic also if you can't follow that how to find it just i would say just message flow in the dark productions or myself and be like what was that again and we'll send it to you yeah just yeah just just email me. <laughs> Mar- yeah, Mario can uh, put my information too on the like on her social media yeah. so that you can find me. How do you think? Um, how do you think the film will be received? 
I hope well. Um, I spent some time at the PGA Waste Management Open handing out flyers for the oh, film. Cool. And so I got to talk to a lot of people who had no idea about it and a lot of really good responses. There's only a couple very negative responses. I, I handed a flyer to this one group of um, one person people. Yeah, I, <laughs> there's some people like, no. But like there's one one group that I remember specifically. I hand them the flyer and they're like, oh, do you want to learn more? It's about the tip free restaurant movement in the U.S. And the girl's like, no. Absolutely not. I'm like, have a good day. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but everybody else was so, so nice. So you just did you just uh, your own idea? Like I'm gonna go to the waste management open and and talk about my film or like where this idea come yeah, from? Yeah, sort of. I was talking to a friend at a party that or I actually just met this guy at a party, but now we're friends and. I was telling him about my film. He was like, oh, you know, the waste management's open. Like, you could probably hand up flyers there. And I'm like, I probably could. And so I just went in the parking lot and just handed out stuff. And the parking lot attendants were really nice. The the one guy was super nice. His name was Jim. And he was like, hey, honey, if you need anything, just let us know. There's oh a lot of drunk gosh. people out here. It's <laughs> like, okay. If I was handing anything out, they would kick me out and strong arm me out of there. I don't think so. You're so nice. But isn't that not allowed or something? Or I, I didn't. I did it in the parking lot. Yeah. So there was one guy who was like, after two hours of handing out flyers, I moved to a different line because the one part of the parking lot got full. And he was like, I don't think you're allowed to be here. I'm like, really? Because the other line said it was fine. He's like, <laughs> okay. okay, just move that way a little bit. Oh, <laughs> like, my gosh. Okay. So what I'm getting at, though, Cassidy, is I just really respect and think that is so cool you taking that initiative to say, hey, here's where the people who might be interested in my project are going to be, I'm going to go out there and just have a conversation. And I think that's a great way to build any business. And I keep forgetting to do that with my podcast. (laughs) And I keep saying I'm going to do it when I travel. Yeah. And then I do clam up a little bit. It's hard. It's definitely hard. It's very humbling. I tend to think I'm a person who doesn't really care about what people think about me. But Mm -hmm. then you start asking people to support your things or asking for money. And you're like, oh, okay, I care a little bit more than I thought. But it took me a while. I mean, I sat in my car for half an hour just being like, just go, just go do it. And then I got out of my car and I did it. And then it was like, oh, that wasn't that hard. And at the minimum, you're really not asking for anything just other than here's my project and I want to share it with you. Yeah. And then if you'd like to donate, here's a website. That was kind of nice with that because it's like, oh, hey, this is a film you might be interested in. The information's on the bottom. If you want to support, there's that option. But I don't even have to ask them for money. It's almost harder contacting people I know and saying, hey, listen, I'm doing this thing. Like, no pressure. But, like, if you want to donate, do it now. You know? Like, it's, oh, it's awful. It's, that's the thing I keep telling people. This whole crowdfunding thing is two things that I'm very bad at. Shameless self-promotion and asking people for things. And um, it's been really good learning experience because like there's a lot of that in what you want like you know being producing films yeah and you know what it'll you you're you're building that grit and that knowledge for down the road to where because you gotta ask for things because if you don't ask you're not gonna get it and down the road you're gonna be asking a studio for a million dollars or something and you're gonna have the the oomph to do that yeah it's those little things it's like those little things that are building up and we actually did a comedy for a cause event um this last thursday uh, Matt Eisman was the oh, headliner yeah. for it. And so I had to go to businesses and ask for gift cards and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is really way easier than I thought. And, and then, they'll do it if you give them, like, a tax ID and, and whatever. Like, yeah, Well, I mean, they did it for me, like, just independent. They heard about what asked. I was doing. And then they're like, yeah, sure. And they gave it to me. And then Matt Eisman, the nicest guy ever, he donated all the proceeds he got from his tick, uh, stickers and from his digital downloads to the project. Yeah. So I like, which he didn't have to what do. What was that project? Um, the, the tipless project. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, yeah that was your event. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I was that getting them confused. Yeah. Cause he was the headliner. So he heard that I was doing this and he, he donated all of that to the film wow. and then he shared the campaign too. So that's really exciting. And then, um, Spencer James was the host. Did you, did you meet Spencer at Big Pine? Um, no, gosh, I think I did. Yeah. I mean, he he was the host, and he was super nice. He's like, okay, how are we going to get people to, like, do the silent auction? How are we going to get you on stage? Da, 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 da. He was Oh, I awesome. heard that you did a little stage time recently. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, are you? I am a little, now I'm a little threatened, because I was like, you're so good at, at what you do, and now you're trying to come over into the one, like, the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> 
You're great at a po- You're great at <laughs> shut up. You're not only good at comedy. Um, well, listen, I did do a little stage time. So my friend Stephen, who worked at the club, he was going in in the army, and he wanted to see me do stand up before he left. Oh my god! So I talked to uh, Alex and Jake Yardley, yeah. and they let me. Um, sneak in for a little five-minute set on their show. What did you think? Did you love it? Um, it was it was fine. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to be a stand-up comedian. I've I did it. I've done stand-up once before when I was in Australia, and I've written stand-up a lot. But I'm. I don't like the grind of it. I don't want to be a stand-up comedian. And but I like the comedy writing. Yeah. So I just use it as that way to expand my like cute like my comedy writing skill set and yeah. just be uncomfortable because I think for a long time I would write stand up and I knew it was stand up but I was like oh I'm never gonna get on stage I'm never gonna do it and then I got to a certain point I was like if you're really that scared of it you probably should do it yeah and so the first time I did it I kind of my my friend was like egging me on. He's like, you should just do it. You like, fine, I'm going to do it. Like, and I just signed up and I did it. And after it was over, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't great, but I didn't bomb. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. And then this time it was sort of the same. It was like, it could have been better, but I didn't bomb. And you know, you people... didn't get that bug where you're like, I need to do this again next week. <laughs> not, not next, no, not next week. I'm sure I'll do it again. It's yeah. like, I, I, for some reason there was one day where I got really inspired and wrote just like 20 minutes of like material. Oh wow. If you ever get a inspired uh, to write me any jokes feel free because <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what i'll do i'll sell you my jokes <laughs> well we can you know the... trade <laughs> yeah i don't we'll, know we'll, we'll just swap, we'll swap. <laughs> yeah no that's fine um but yeah i mean so don't worry i'm not i'm not going <laughs> gunning for uh, a feature spot or anything but um no, i don't know that is great though i'm so proud of you and impressed <laughs> like again if you're scared of something just do it yeah i actually met um a friend um, her name's Jessica. I met her at a Super Bowl party, and she and this was like right after I had gone up, and she was saying, "Oh, like I really want to get into stand up. I, I just write, I've never done it." And so then it's this cool thing where it's like, "Just do it. Like I can help her do it." So I'm sure I'll be like, "I'll do one, and then you can do one. We can do it together." I think that's the magic of. You don't even realize how you inspire other people just from following your dreams and to doing things. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. No, it was cool because it was like, even though I don't want to do stand-up, it was like that thing where it's like, yeah, you can do it. I know yeah. you can do it because I did it. And I'm not like, but I don't want to do it. So you <laughs> yeah. can do it, you know? Anybody can do it. Oh, for sure. It's and and I do encourage people to do it where I'm like, you should do it. When Especially when people are like, oh, I have a funny joke. I'm like, you should go do that joke on stage. And they're like, oh, no. And you're like, just do it. Who cares? Right. And I think it's like not everybody is going to be a stand-up comedian like they're no not everybody's gonna be like a chris rock or whatever sure. but like you can who say cares? you did it and mm-hmm. you bomb and you don't like it you learn something right you know i i think that's the biggest thing there's so many people who just say i'm not gonna do something i'm not gonna do something it's like sure some things aren't worth doing but then there are some things that's like even if you don't like it it teaches you something yeah so i don't know with stuff like that it's like if you're, if it's just embarrassment, or mm-hmm. if it's just like, you nerves. know, your own nerves, you know, get outside of yourself, get over it, and just do it. And Absolutely, you know, it could be the best thing that you ever did. But yeah, you know. oh my gosh, I love that so much, and I feel like I need to hear it. I think other people need to hear that kind of message. So I'm so glad you shared that. Is this a, is this a rumor now in the comedy community that I'm doing stand up? No, I just, <laughs> yes, it is. We talk about it on the closed Facebook yeah, group. Yeah. <laughs> The Big Pine group that I'm not included in. Yeah. No. Um, no, Shannon told me. Oh, Shannon. <laughs> of course she did. Yeah. Uh, she was really proud of you, too. So I think that's I think that's so fantastic. Well, it was funny because they were telling me... Because I'm, I'm the biggest critic of myself. I'm like, I don't know, you know... I... I, I I always want to be the best that I can be, and I try to push myself to that. I'm like, oh, it was okay, but they were like, you had comedians laughing. They don't even laugh at their friends, you right? Know? Like, you should, you did fine. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I was thinking um, as we started this, I um, this is how I feel right now, and I think it's kind of magical. Um, how do I describe this? 
I'll just start this way. You know how when you see a documentary or I saw something, the National Lampoon, and it turns out like everybody who started with that turned into Saturday Night Live. Like that's Mm -hmm. where it kind of started from. Or you would see like old pictures of of the old cast hanging out before they were anybody. Yeah. Part of me... I'm going to say it. I don't care. I feel like we're in that zone right now where we're just getting started. We're following our passions. We're chasing our dreams. And I think in the future, you know, there's going to be these pictures of us just hanging out at House of Comedy or hanging out here. Yeah, they're going to pull out this old Wings with Friends episode and be like, remember back in the day? Yeah, like it'll be something way bigger and better. But they're like, it really started with this ho-dunky podcast where Mary would go get wings and, you know, yeah. and then they're like, we miss her so much. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I went dark. That went so dark. That took a turn. A hard left. Yeah. That's because I can't live in that space too long where oh, things I'm are great. Same. I'm the same, yeah. <laughs> no, but, you, or, or like, um, you know, just hanging out at House of Comedy or they'll be like, the big pioneers, like, that's really where everybody kind of like came together and, I don't know, and I feel yeah. like we're in that moment. It, it's sounds crazy but I feel the same way too especially working with Hillary and Jack and Phil Coors it's like I feel like Phil's so funny Phil's ridiculous he's <laughs> the biggest child ever but like he's, and he's so kind he's he's very nice he person. listened to me for like four hours because we all stayed in that same house which yeah. was so much fun I yeah. don't mean to commandeer this no, but I was surprised that just he would li- he kept listening and he wouldn't fall he was trying to sleep but I kept talking and he was just like mm-hmm. and I'm like you're so nice you should go to sleep anyway yeah Phil Quarters will talk to anybody too that guy has no shame whatsoever but, yeah, so I just, like, being around these people, it's like, oh, okay, seeing something that's like, okay, this could be, like, really big down the line. And, like, I have no doubt that I'm going to be friends with Hillary and Jack for a long time and, like, working with them. And, we yeah, I mean, we've talked about several different things that we want to write or projects that we think could go somewhere. So that's, it's really exciting. And I think that's the inspiration I get from Hillary is, is kind of like, oh, you want to do that? Do it. Yeah. Go do it. And that's, that's something I'm, um, you know, we've talked about already and like, do you want to do something? Go do it. See, that's the thing where I feel like with you, I do think that you're going to like be something bigger because you are the person who goes and does it in a way that is just so much further than anybody else, you know, like even the, um, Funniest person with a day job competition that you were at in the House of Comedy. You were the one bringing all of these people in. You had like 50 guests, and that says something. And it's like you are going and you're doing things, and those are the people who succeed. They go and they do and they learn and they try really hard. And well, you think they're saying that? Yeah, I think I tried to like control what I can control and then let the uh, the rest happen. So like I know I can I can it's just like you going and talking to people at the waste management open like let me get as many people as I can go. Let me make sure my material's ready. After that it's Jesus take the wheel. Yeah, no, I, for sure. It's for <laughs> Rick, sure. Rick Bronson take the wheel. <laughs> no, and that contest has been one of like the best things to happen to me in terms of like pushing me forward, getting me exposure. So yeah. you just have to try. If you want anything in this world, you just have to kind of try. And sometimes you don't even have to try that hard. I, Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's crazy. Sometimes it, people are like, oh, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I worked on it for like a day, like before the show, you know, like I worked on it and then, well, wow. It's insane how many people nowadays just don't want to try. Like, it's so funny. It just takes a little bit of effort. And, like, if you just put in a little bit, you're already ahead of so many people because they just don't want to try. They, Like, I don't know what it is, if it's a fear of failure or um, just, like, pure laziness. But, like, uh, I, I think know. it's a lot of things. Um, and I've kind of decided, like, good, I love those people. I think about it in my day job, too, or in the past. <laughs> like, good, you don't want to. That helps me all the much more, like... If you don't want to try for anything and, you know, you're going to help me look better. Yeah, in some that's, ways. I mean, that, that was dark. Or yeah, that was, well. That was, like, it was scandalous. 
But I get what you're saying. But I guess for me, I, I'm definitely one of those control freaks. You know, I have a lot of control issues, and I want to see people succeed. So I'm a really eager person, and I want to, like, help people get where they want to go too. But what I found is that it's like some people are just not going to go, and I've had to learn to let that go and oh, say, yeah. you know, hey, I want this for you, but at some point you got to want it for you. And when yeah. you're ready to come along... I'm going to be there right there with you, helping you run towards that goal. But like, you got to run, you know? Yeah. Good point. I feel, I feel the same way. And I also feel like if people are just like, I told you earlier, like if they're just kind and nice to me, like I will let anybody in this, on this bus, you know, like if you're just a good person and you're respectful and you're nice and you just, that's all I want. It's crazy how much kindness goes. And there's so many people who just don't want to be kind. And it's like, I want to be around that and I, you know, I want to be that for other people. So like, that's why I like you. I think you're so positive and you're always, you know, trying to bring people along. You can tell that. Yeah. I try sometimes. I haven't always been this way though. Oh, I haven't either. (laughs) Had to kind of get there. Um, all right. I have an idea for you for your next documentary. I want to pitch it to you and see if it's something maybe we can work together on. Um, how about a documentary of, it's totally, um, wait, a documentary would be, wait, fiction is real or not real? Nonfiction. Nonfiction. Is real. Is true, right? Yes. And fiction is false. Yes. Okay. Stranger than fiction. Yeah, I know. I have to sit there and figure it out all the time. <laughs> I guess all documentaries are nonfiction, right? Uh, Unless it's a mockumentary. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard because documentary is a very interesting form where you're talking about true things and true people and true events, but it's also constructed. There's a story. It's Uh not like pure news. Like there's, there's someone telling a story, trying to make you feel things. So there are a lot of documentarians who don't take that responsibility um, strong enough. Yeah. And so they create things that have a lot of misinformation and misrepresentation. So in some ways it's like, yes, the documentary is about truth, but like there's a lens. Th- there is there. It's still artifice. And like, don't just put on your documentary glasses and say, everything that I'm hearing and seeing is true. Like you got to think about it a little bit because there are there are people who will manipulate and twist and right. try to make things. It's it's a very hard art form, but okay, yeah, yeah. Mostly, mostly documentaries are based in truth. Yeah. Okay, then. So in this, because I was about to say this isn't real, but it, it totally is. I guess I have to own it. How about a documentary following a young comedian whose sole purpose for getting better and becoming successful isn't to be successful but just to get her crush to notice her <laughs> so it's almost like comedy this person no we're not talking about that <laughs> but just so so it's almost the byproduct is becoming a really successful comedian but like the whole purpose is just to get one man's attention see that's- and to accidentally run into him in like in like Fayetteville, Louisiana. Accidentally in air quotes. Oh, what? Well, no, it, no, it would be accidental. Like oh, okay. no air quotes because it's like I'm just so busy working. Oh, look, you are too. Oh, how'd you get here? Oh, where are you? <laughs> and I haven't decided yet. When we run into each other, should I be like? Who's that? Who are you? Oh, oh, you go here? You know, or it's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. We should have dinner. (laughs) So, I mean, what do you think about that documentary? That's it. It's an interesting concept because I actually, I I find, I I was having a conversation with someone the other day about this. I have some issues with the way that, like, romantic comedies have shaped the way that people, like, see relationships. Uh Uh-huh. And so, um... For me, that's sort of an interesting sort of character study of, like, this person doing this thing for this other person that seems so unsustainable and so unfulfilling. For me, it would be in spite of the other person. In spite of it. <laughs> like, you're... Every time... I didn't mean to cut you off, but... No, no. Um, 
So, like, every time I don't get something I want uh, in terms of, like, romantic relationships, it, for some reason I go, well, I'm just going to go be better at this. And then you'll notice me. And then you'll regret it. You know, that's that, psychotic. Yeah. Does that ever leave you feel, feeling fulfilled, though? No, never. See, that's, see, that's where I think that the thing is where we've had this, like, Disney princess and, like meet cute sort of culture where it's like you fall in love and everything's perfect and like this person completes you and it's like no person no individual is ever going to make you feel complete sorry no you're fine <laughs> no person's going to make you feel complete and like no person is going to put that meaning in your life that you're looking for if you're trying to find that in somebody else that's not going to happen and if you try to find that in something else in this world, that's not going to happen either. Right. And that's why I dive into my hobbies and my interests when it doesn't work out. Um, so we can talk about it more in the future. Yeah, but it's <laughs> just like, it, it would probably be one of those, like, it started as one thing and then she spiraled into yeah. psychoticness. <laughs> that's interesting because that almost sounds like it would be this weird mockumentary where it's not like, like that, what's that movie with Michael Sarah and the, the Asian chick? I can't remember her name. Um, is it Scott Pilgrim? No, 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 it's that uh, Paper Heart. That oh, I, I love that uh, Charlene Yee. Is that yeah, her? Charlene I love Yee. her. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that. I've seen the full Paper Heart, but there was that like idea of that documentary of like this. It's sort of interesting like that because they were comedians and talking about love and trying to figure out what love was. But it was like a mockumentary where it was like real people. Like you have Bill Hader and mm-hmm. like uh, you know all of these people who are the their actual uh-huh. selves, but it's not real, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I had an idea about maybe just learn to write a screenplay and do a screenplay about a fictional character who, like, you know, uh, did what I was talking about doing. Yeah, I always, I always wanted to write something, but I could never figure out how to, like, really make it interesting enough for, like, the whole thing, but this idea of a woman who, um, bases her relationship life on a TED talk about (laughs) how to like mathematically find the most successful relationship. And basically, because there's this actual TED talk about this woman who's like talking about these, this fish mating pattern, how they reject the first 33% of their eligible dating life. They reject every male they see and then they mate for life with the next male they see that is bigger than better than any of the males that they came before. Oh, wow. So it's like this very like logical and pragmatic way to look at love. And so I always thought that was interesting to see how this yeah. person who was like has this framework of like, I'm going to be very risk averse and like in the thing yeah. that's so risky yeah. and like, you know, love, which is so feelings, but so math and pragmatic about it. And then there's so many other factors factors that go into it too. Right. Yeah. So you gotta get that big fish to ask you out. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, you so know. Tough. Oh yeah. Um yeah, my idea is more like angels in the outfield, but a romantic comedy. Like oh, yeah. if I could just do X, then so and so would notice me and come back. Uh-huh. Like that's what Angels in the Outfit is like yeah. if the Angels win the World Series, my dad will come back. And then my idea is like if I just win the World Series of Comedy, which is a thing, so that's a good example, yeah. then so and so will notice me. But we all know that's not how it works. Yeah. But you know, you learn a lot getting there. So maybe this is a better romantic comedy or screenplay. Yeah, but like I like the idea of it being like this weird mockumentary though, <laughs> where it's like, oh, you know, and you're seeing like you're seeing behind the veil, and you can see this craziness of like, because <laughs> like we're all crazy people, right? Like just a little bit, and like there's so many times where it's like, especially when you're infatuated with someone, you're like, you have this fantasy and this idea of how something's gonna play out, and if it doesn't play out like in the reality that you thought it would, you're like, well, they're not even worth my time, and then they do something like they like your Facebook picture, and you're like, oh, they're the best. You're just like, what is wrong with you? You are a crazy person. (laughs) I've been been in the car, you know, I'll check something, and every once in a while I will get that like, and I go, yeah, you did! (laughs) I've yelled that out loud. I was like, yeah, you do! So I'm also, like, I'm also trying to, like, um, I'm also trying to... If if I was a math brain, I'd be figuring out what pictures or what stories, you know, get that attention. Yeah. There's there's certain things that will get 
I, you know, different groups. Yeah, it's so weird. I'm just, I'm so pragmatic, and I've never been a big dater. I don't like dating. It's just, it's just a weird realm you know, me for me. Me neither, but mostly because nobody's ever asked. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Keep going. Me neither. I'm not a big dater. Cassidy? I, I mean, I don't, uh, people aren't asking me out either, <laughs> but I think they just know I'm going to say no. <laughs> Well, she's busy. Yeah. She's too busy. She's got a boom mic in one hand. She's got some headphones on. That's how I saw you at Big Pine. I would I would be on this oh. side of the street and I would see you walking. I'm like, it looks so cool. Like we're just we just take over this town and it's yeah. like this, you know, just like your mini film crew all I, in one. I saw pictures of me doing video. And I have the worst RBF every time <laughs> I'm in work. I'm like, oh my gosh. People probably think you're so mean because you're so... I thought... No, I thought you're like, she's a serious artist, (laughs) filmmaker. That chick is on a mission. Don't F with her. (laughs) No, it was cool. It was so cool. So, And then then at one point, I was like, I know her. I'm friends with her. I'm friends with her. Yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to... Yeah, I tend to get in the zone, and that's the thing. I'm like a workhorse, where, and I'm a workaholic, where it's like, Mark's, like, drinking a beer, talking to everybody, <laughs> filming, and I'm just like, I can't even, like, think about taking a break. <laughs> Mark's such a weirdo. <laughs> I waterboarded him on the podcast. This is my... You waterboarded yeah. Mark Silverstein on I, the podcast. It's Silverstein. Oh. Just kidding. No, I yeah, we waterboarded is him. It? It, yeah, I did. Silverstein? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mark. <laughs> you're like... I'm I know sure. you're the biggest fan of Wings with Friends. So he is. Um, we yeah, I waterboarded him. He survived though. It was, it was fine. You should listen to the episode. So. Uh, yeah, um, I will. I'll have to. Yeah, I've seen a couple people get waterboarded on podcasts, and I'm just like, oh, other people have done it. Just We're not the first. I, not the first. No, like someone did. Um, not a podcast I listen to often, but there was this one episode where they were like trying to get to a goal or something. They're like, if we get to this goal, I'll waterboard myself, and I'm like. <laughs> Well, all right, okay. You know, it's a very simple torture technique that anybody can do at home. How did, how did he handle it? He I was feel like, like okay, that's good. I thought he got sexually aroused, um, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to know. I'm joking. <laughs> no, he was just like, I did it for a second, and I felt bad, right? So I'm, I'm kind of hurting him, or yeah. I thought I was going to hurt him. Yeah. And he was like, okay, that's good. Like, I know what it feels like. We're done. You know, I was like, okay, and that was it. Was he... And did now it, he respects me. Just yeah, kidding. <laughs> yeah. Did, did he... For some reason, I'm not surprised that Mark wanted to get waterboarded. Like, that just seems so unbearable. I was afraid him. I would trigger something in him that could, like, be irreparable. Right, like, you he know. goes, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's that last yeah. draw. But that, it like, actually fixed him, and he's normal now. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, lately Mark's been so cool. What's the difference? It's like, now I know you waterboarded him. <laughs> I'm just joking. I mean, this is back right before Big Pine in September, so oh, it's, he's had some time with yeah, it. Yeah, he's had some time. He's the, okay. That's um, interesting. Well, Cassidy, this has been so much fun. Yeah, it's Thank you so much for sharing all this with me. And even like, I love to get these stories for my listeners to hear and hopefully they, it will inspire them to do something, to follow their dreams or just donate to like really great projects. But then it also becomes really enriching to me to go like, no, keep doing what you're doing, you know? Yeah, no, it's been so great. And I think I, I, I think you're great. You're doing a lot of awesome stuff. And, I mean, I think this is the first time we've really got to sit down and really talk. Because we've, yeah. we've been around and in the same circles and in the same Yeah, we're rooms. friends now. You can't get we're, out of it. Yeah, Once yeah. you have wings, it's like, okay, you're friends. That's why I have this podcast. Yeah, but I love that idea. Because the podcasts that I listen to, they're either, like, super just, like, facts and logic and just, like, right <laughs> into of my that brain. <laughs> <laughs> or it's that super relational thing where it's learning about people and hearing mm-hmm. their stories and... Um, I think there's so much power in personal stories, and that's a big part of my business is getting people to share their stories and talk about the things that are important. So I love being able to sit here and just talk about stuff and, like, learn about things and learn about you and just, you know, have fun because that's another thing that I love. Like, I have those weird dualities where it's like I love all of this really serious stuff, but I also love to laugh and just to be ridiculous. It's about balance, right? Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm so excited. Tell everybody one more uh, time where they can donate to Tipless. Yeah. So it's at Indiegogo. The project is called Tipless, T-I-P-L-E-S-S. Um, the, the link is H-T-T-P-S uh, forward slash I-G-G dot me, M-E, slash at A-T slash Tipless. Um, 
we can we can include the link too for yeah. you guys so that you can do it. And then um, my Instagram is Flow in the Dark Productions. Same for Facebook. We have the link there too. We're gonna be promoting all month, so we would love it if you want to support and just check out what we're doing because we do think it's a super interesting topic and super important, and we want to create a conversation about minimum wage and voting and how we can be better at helping people through those systems. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cassidy Polling. You guys, thanks for listening. We will see you next time on Wings with Friends. Bye-bye.